look at Leviticus. Leviticus, page 157 in your Bibles. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll pick it up and we'll run with it. Father, we come before your throne. I thank you for the amazing things that you do on a daily basis, a moment-by-moment moment basis in, in your creation. Father, thank you for drawing us here. Uh, Father, I, I entrust that you are leading us. I entrust that you have set our, our paths and that, Father, we come before you in humble adoration. Father, as we draw to your text, as we draw to your holy word, Father, let us hear you. Let us see you. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> this book was written about 1450 to 1410 B.C. It was written by Moses. There are a lot of debate going on these days that says, well, we're not sure Moses did it. Jesus was sure that Moses wrote it, and I don't need to worry about it any farther than that. All right. Jesus quotes it 62 times in the New Testament in the four Gospels. And he says that Moses wrote it. So if Jesus says Moses wrote it, I don't care what the doctorate people seem to think. And yet when you read this book, how many people have read through this book and kind of get on a serious case of the bogged down? What is the good of this book? I believe that this book is one of the most profitable in the book. 66 books of the Bible. Um, it yields truth to you and I in an understanding of what sin is, of what guilt is, and the sub substitutionary death and atonement work that you and I know that Jesus Christ fulfilled. This lays the foundation for it. This is, as the writer of Hebrews says, the picture. It is a shadow it is showing you the seriousness of our sin and the need of a substitutionary death. See, the Leviticus points to the ultimate one-time fulfillment of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That would be Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 22. And yet, Leviticus chapter 1 through chapter 16 explains how to have a personal access to God. And you know how it is described in Leviticus? It's a fascinating understanding. Through the appropriate worship of him. In a day and age when man has decided this is what worship is and this is how I'll worship and this is what I'm going to do and this is contemporary and this is blended and this is traditional and, and you've got to do it this way, you've got to do it that way. You don't hear very many people preaching Leviticus. And it's fascinating because it says Yahweh, verse 1, chapter 1, called to Moses. And then in verse 2, he says, speak to the sons of Israel. So do you understand what is being said here? God is not saying, I'm just going to take this over here and hide it and see if anybody pays attention to it. He's saying, you are the spokesman to the people. I want you to go tell the people what I'm giving you. How 
to be spiritually acceptable to God through an obedient walk. I mean, it is the matters of the Levites. That's what the book title literally means. But I want you to think about something. In the writing of this book, it's the first time in Israel's history that God defines a set of sacrifices. First time. He set them apart. Remember he took Abraham out of Ur? Said, I'm going to give you a promised land. But Abraham never got to the promised land. He never attained the promised land. He had a son. And that son had... Sons, Jacob became the father of 12 sons, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob is the one who what? Wrestles with God and man, a.k.a. Israel. Israel. And yet, Jacob didn't get into the promised land. Nor did his 12 sons get in. His heirs did because they were in captivity for how long? 400 years. 400 years. And now God has taken them out of the slavery of the Egyptians. He's taken them to a place now. Now he's got them at the foot of Mount Sinai and he's got their undivided attention. Their undivided attention. Why? You will listen to what I'm saying. Moses has got up on the mountaintop twice now. First time 40 days, second time 40 days. First time he came down and they had made a golden calf and he threw the tablets down and they broke and God called them to repentance. A whole bunch of people lost their lives. He went back up on the mountainside and the people are saying, you know what? Whatever you need, Moses, we're going to do it. He did off. He comes back with a set of sacrifices. They had in the past offered sacrifices. Abel offered sacrifices. Cain and Abel both. But this is an instruction for a people. This is instructions for a nation. And what you have in chapter 1 through chapter 6. Verse 7 is for the people. And then chapter 6, verse 8 through chapter 7, verse 38 is the sacrifices for the priest. And what you find in this is God has taken the nation at its word. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 8, and in Exodus chapter 24, verses 3 through 8, the people said what the Lord says we shall do and God is now holding them to it and now God is giving detailed instruction on how to sacrifice to him there are five sacrifices that are laid out in these early chapters the first three sacrifices are voluntary The second two sacrifices 
or the last two sacrifices are mandatory. You have in chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, chapter 1, is what is called the burnt offering. If you look there at the end of, in the middle of um, verse 2, it says, when any man of you brings an offering to the Lord. Okay, it's like when you come with this offering, this burnt offering is literally what it's called there in verse 3. Chapter 2, you see a grain offering. Chapter 3, you see a peace offering. Okay, all three of these sacrifices are voluntary. But there's an underlying thing in it. You ever thought about this? When, when I think about whether it is something like the Passover or whether it is a burnt offering, whether it is a grain offering or peace offering, when I take any of those, what do you think when you hear, you think about the sacrifices? And most people, if they talk about the sacrifices... The first thing that comes to their mind is they're trying to appease God. You know, perhaps I've done something wrong. And I need to make an atonement to God. I mean, the writer of Hebrews says, has the blood of bulls and goats taken away sin? No. No. But you know what? That's the same mindset that the Jews had. When you think about a sacrifice to God, what do you think about? Do you really believe that you're going to please Him with your sacrifice? Paul, writing in Romans, says it is impossible to please God without faith. Well, what the heck is the sacrifice for? There are two other sacrifices. Hang on to that thought right there for a second. There are two other sacrifices that were mandatory sacrifices. Chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 5, verse 13 is the sin offering. And then chapter 5, verse 14 through chapter 6, verse 7 is the what is called the trespass offering. So you have five offerings of sacrifice that God has instituted. Three are voluntary, two are mandatory. But why? If I shed the blood of an animal, how does that help me in my sin? If I give a grain offering, uh, if I give a peace offering, how in the heck does that help me in my sin? And I think the thing that is missing is this. Any offering to God should be based on the fact that you are there to worship Him. I 
I mean, verse 3 says, An offering of a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male, what? Without defect. You know what that means, right? Your best. This is my best. Okay, let me ask you a question. Who paid the penalty for your sin? Jesus Christ. Out of God's collection, where would Jesus fit in value to God? Well, I think he would probably fall into without defect. But I think that if you looked at it, it would be his best. His best. And what he's going for here is if you're going to sacrifice to God, it should be coming from a penitent heart. You know what a penitent heart is? One, it hurts. But it also should be coming out of a thankful heart. And whenever my, whatever my sacrifice is, it should be based on the fact that here I am to worship. I mean, I, we get people who call here. What style of worship do you have? <laughs> and I always give them the same answer. Living sacrifice style of worship. That would be Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourself as what? A living sacrifice. Why? This is your act of Worship. Worship. When you come to sacrifices, when you read the book of Leviticus, when you're thinking about sacrifices and you start getting into, well, you know, you got to take a bullock and do this, or you take a lamb and do this, you take a pigeon and do this, you take a grain and do this, and all the rest of it, we have missed it. It was done for one reason. To worship. To worship. You give these offerings with the attitude of worship. Why? Because you realize. Now see, Israel in context of here has just been released from slavery. Miraculously. And they understood what I have been freed from. I had no ability to free myself. Therefore, he who freed me from this, I will worship because he is worthy. And so he says, here's how you shall worship me. See, the rest is basically external rituals. I mean, it's just rituals. But this is the conclusion of the Exodus. I brought you out. You need to remember that I brought you out. God has instructed Moses how to use the tabernacle in worship. You see him constructing the tabernacle where? At the end of the book of Exodus. 
And here's now how we will use it. And you know, and I hear, you know, people say, well, what was this when God spoke to Moses? Well, it's an audible voice. It's an audible voice. I see audible voice to Moses in Exodus 40, verse 34, Numbers chapter 7, verse 89, and Psalm 80, verse 1. And it was the tabernacle of the meeting, and that is the place where Israel would gather to meet the Lord. It was all set up for what? To worship. Speak to the sons of Israel. Say to them, when any man of you brings an offering to the Lord... You shall bring your offering of animals from the herd of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it, a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of the meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. Shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall slay the young bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons and the priests shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar that is in the doorway of the tent. He shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put on the fire of the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. And then Aaron's sons and the priests shall arrange the pieces of the head and the stew over the wood, which is on the fire on the altar. Its entrails, however, and its legs he shall wash with water. The priests shall offer up in smoke all of it on the altar for the burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering is from the flock of the sheep or the goats for a burnt offering, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall slay it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord and Aaron's sons and the priests shall sprinkle his blood around the altar. He shall cut it into pieces with its head and its stew and its, and the priest will arrange them in the wood on the fire. You see here, this has got detail to it. Why? You better have your heart set to where you're going and you better understand that what you're doing is an act of worship. How many of us do this? You know, I remember when my daughter went to college <laughs> that's great. And then she came home. Um, she went to a college that was called the Master's College. And I remember sitting there that day that we dropped them off where they do the freshman here. We're going to all get together. And uh, the president of the college got up and he says, uh, I want to share with you something, parents. I want you to understand something. He says, everything we do in this college, and that's a liberal arts college. They teach sciences, they've got business, they've got economics, uh, marketing, they've got Bible studies, missionary studies, they've got all this stuff. He says, I want, to I want you to understand something in this college. He says, everything that we do, they've got a um, 2A um, basketball team and a baseball team. 
and and he he brought those up. He says, we, we've got sports here. We've got music here. He says, but I want you to understand something. Everything we do here has one basic format to it. It is the worship of Jesus Christ. And then he gets a smile on his face. He says, we want these kids to be so focused on their worship of the Lord Jesus Christ that even when they're doing their term papers and their homework, it is an act of worship to their Lord for the privilege that he has given them to grow in knowledge. You ever thought about that? I was flying back last Sunday and uh, that's just a tough, tough flight for me. I leave about one o'clock Moscow and I end up in Denver about nine o'clock the same day. The problem is it's not really. Uh, and, And it was difficult for me to say, how can me wadded up in this stupid chair be worshiping God? That's a little tough. And yet, that's what we've been called to. Whatever you do, are you doing it in an act of worship? You ever thought about that? You know, they've got a long, big desire in the lands of Russia for Christians to be working in the factories. You know why? They work. Why? Because when a Christian gets a job, he's working for who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And and that's a little tough in our country. We get to hire a Christian here. All they want to do is evangelize. Um, I didn't pay you to evangelize. I paid you to build or whatever. And you should be doing it as unto the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? How many times... Let me ask you this. When I read the book of Leviticus, I hear something that just keeps poking me in the back of the head. How many times have I worshipped and my worship was a sacrifice for me? Or is my worship a sacrifice for him? Have you ever thought about that? He's speaking of their spiritual life and he's saying, you know, this is voluntary. It's a free will offering. There's no number of how many or how often. Whenever they come and offer this sacrifice. But you do it in the doorway of the tent so to be accepted by the Lord. You bring your best You bring your sacrifice. You know anything about raising livestock? If you have one that is without blemish, what is your key focus of that stock? Whether it's a goat or a lamb or a bull. This is the one I will take and build my herd off of. And what does God say? That is the one you bring to me. You bleed it, cut it into pieces, throw it on the fire and watch it be consumed. You don't even get like a barbecue out of it. But God says you should come to what? 
worship me. You know, in Mark chapter 7, verses 8 through 13, um, you see this thing corrupted. I see it today. I see it today. The Pharisees had corrupted the sacrificial system. Why? Because they had put a loophole in it. And they had made it so that I have given all that I own, not yet, but everything that I own, I have given to the Lord. So when their parents were in need of something, they could say, I can't help you out, mom and dad, because everything I have, I have given to the Lord. Do you see that today? I can't help you. I've got $10,000 in the bank, but I have committed it to the Lord. So I can't help you. I can't help you. Um, We are right now have been in the process of training 22 pastors. Uh, Of the 22 pastors, only one is not bivocational because of the cost of living. And I was listening to a church here in Castle Rock who's preparing to take over a building and they're getting ready to move into their building and they're going to spend $150,000 redoing the stage the way they want with lights and sound and microphones. $150,000 would take all of those pastors in Russia and allow them to work for about five years solely and wholly for the church. But we're going to have a nice sound stage. We're going to have a nice video abilities. We're going to have PowerPoint capabilities. We will have sound and we've tested it for sound and it'll be exalting to who? It has been corrupted. It's been corrupted. Priest shall, verse 15, the priest shall bring it to the altar, ring off its head. I like this. This is turtle doves, in case you're wondering. Uh, they don't have big priests dealing with bulls. Ring off its head. Or it can be a young pigeon. Uh, they have pigeons a lot in Orel, Russia. And they have these little cafes, and the pigeons will come and eat off of your table. Um, while you're trying to eat, they, they they don't mind sharing at all. And the only thing I can think of is, ain't I supposed to ring off that bird's head? But anyway, I've seen a reggae dog. Never mind. We'll move on. Priest shall bring it to the altar, offer up in smoke. Its blood will be drained on the side of the altar. He shall also take away its crop, its feathers. Cast it aside in the altar eastward, the place of the ashes. Then he'll tear it by its wings. What's he saying here? He's saying, come to worship. You know, he does the same thing in chapter 2. Chapter 2, he says, anyone presents a grain offering. A grain offering. Offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it, frankincense on it. You know, frankincense is a commodity. It's expensive. 
He'll bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and they shall take it. A handful of the fine flour from its oil and all the frankincense, and the priest shall offer it up. Now, you know, you know frankincense, right? That was one of the wise men brought. For who? For Jesus. Why? He was an offering. He was doing it as an act of worship. The remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. A thing most holy of the offering of the Lord by fire. Now when you bring an offering of grain, offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes, fine flour mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers spread with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering made on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. And you shall break it into bits, pour oil on it, and it is a grain offering. Now, if you are offering a grain offering made in a pan. Now, see how he's doing here? It's what you call covering your bases. Offered in a pan. It shall be made of fine flour with oil. When you bring the grain offering is made these things to the Lord, it shall be presented to the priest and he shall bring it to the altar. The priest then shall take up the grain offering, its memorial portions, and shall offer it up in smoke on the altar. The remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. The thing most holy of the offering of the Lord by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall not offer up and smoke any leaven or any honey as an offering by fire to the Lord. It's an offering of the first fruits. You shall bring them to the Lord. You shall not ascend the soothing aroma of the altar. Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. Offerings you should offer by salt. You bring a grain offering of the early ripened things, and the Lord shall bring fresh heads of grains roasted in fire. You shall put oil on it, lay it on incense. So you see those there? There's a peace offering, chapter 3. Now there's an offering, is a, now if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering. What does that mean? It's a sacrifice of worship. I am worshiping God, and in doing so, it is sacrificial to me. Now listen, I want you to understand something about sacrifice. That means it's something of value to me that I am offering to him. You know, it's, it's like uh, if you had a 1953 Volkswagen that the floorboards were rusted out and a 2008 450 SL Mercedes. Okay, and somebody come to you and they said, My, I need a car. Which is the sacrifice? The Volkswagen or the Mercedes? I know. Well, but the Volkswagen is a collector's item. <laughs> okay, then you keep it. I'll take the Mercedes. 
See, that's sacrifice. Sacrifice doesn't say, you know what? And I remember a guy one time telling me, he says, you know what? I believe in the tithe. If I make $100,000, I need to give God ten. I said, well, I don't sound like a sacrifice to me. And the tithe was actually 23%. What's a sacrifice? And that's what I what we see here. Here's a peace offering. If he's going to offer it out of the herd, whether male or female, let it be what? Without defect. You know what he's saying? I want the cream of your crop. I want your best. I want your best bull. The one that you believe will make you an unblemished herd. I want that one. Because you know what God's saying? Who gave it to you? And if I gave it to you, then how can you come to me worshiping me and give me second best? When he came, what did he give? He gave his best. Shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and slay it in the doorway of the tent. Sounds familiar. From the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall present the offering by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver shall remove with the kidneys. And Aaron's son shall offer it up as smoke on the altar. Burn offering. It's on the wood of the fire. Offering a fire is a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if it's an offering for a sacrifice of peace offering from the flock, it shall be what? Without defect. And do it the same way. He talks about the kidneys and the livers and all the rest of it. Moreover, his offering, verse 12, is a goat. He shall offer it before the Lord. He lay his hand on it in a tent. Shall sprinkle blood around the altar and shall present the offering by fire that covers the Lord. The entrails. Two kidneys, the loins, the lobe, the liver shall be removed with the kidneys. The priest shall offer them up, smoke of the altar. All the fat of is the Lord's perpetual statute throughout your generations. Okay, and then in chapter 4, and I'll pick this up when we meet again. He starts speaking of the two. If a person sins unintentionally in any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done and commits any of them. The anointed priest sins. So, and then he basically says, here's some, here's either an accidental sin or something that somebody just stumbled into. Here's how you will do this. I want you to understand what is being laid out here. Cause we read through this and you're thinking, gee, many crickets. I got to look at the fat on the kidneys and watch out for the lobe of the liver and all the rest of this stuff. And we start scratching our heads, but we're missing what is being given to us here. What is being given to us here is that when God says, come to worship, You'd better be having it figured out and you'd better be doing it my way. I look at the church today and I see people worshiping in the way they want to. And how arrogant is that before a holy God? How arrogant is that? And let me tell you something. There's one thing I have learned about God. He's not changing. And if this is how you worship here, how do I worship now? 
No, I don't need to go start raising livestock and making the best and all the rest of it. But when I come to worship, how many people actually come with a heart of sacrifice to worship? How many people worship and say, this is costing me? This is costing me my best. That's what Leviticus is. When you come before the Lord, you come on the Lord's terms. You do not come on your terms. Well, what about grace? What about grace? What about it? See, what we've done is we've tried to take grace and make it just cover everything. And what you do when you do that, you cheapen grace. Grace all of a sudden is nothing. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm just going, you know what? You go to heaven if you don't murder nobody. Hallelujah. I'm in. That boy, I like that. But if you're truly honest with yourselves, is that really right? Because I can tell you this, Jesus said, if you've ever been angry, you've committed murder in your heart. Oh, did you know that if you break any part of the law, you're guilty of all of it? Oops. I shouldn't have reminded you of that. So now then, how great is his grace? Let me ask you this. What does your worship look like? Because you'll live a life based on what your view of God is. The way you worship and the way you conduct yourself will be based on your view of God. And that's what Leviticus is doing. He's taking a people that he's miraculously withdrawn from slavery. And they want to worship him. Yeah, they're kind of knuckleheads, but they do want to worship him. And he says, all right, this is how you shall worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for drawing us together yet again. Father, help us. Help us to understand that worship demands a sacrifice. Our worship. Father, you said we should be followers of your son and his life was sacrificial. But his life was also worship. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for what they mean to me and my ministry. But Father, I thank you for what you're doing in their lives and their ministries. But Father, I ask that we would be people who worship in spirit and in truth to your glory and praise. Lord, uh, let us enter into your rest. and Let us cling there to your glory, to your praise. In Christ's name, amen.